0: Hello, you're listening to season two of Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Atriance, and this podcast is all about the question: what does it mean to live a life driven by curiosity, creativity, and love over fear? Each week you can tune in to hear me discussing various topics related to this question with leaders, artists, and entrepreneurs who are each living out this pursuit in their own unique ways. When you've finished listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast leave a comment and tell a friend. You can find all the show notes over at dinaadriance.com slash ECP podcast. Now settle in, get comfy and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Creative People. This is Dina Adriance, and I'm here today with my guest, Salima Valani. Uh, Salima is the co-founder and COO of Innovazing, which is an education and leadership development firm that strives to help organizations cultivate more impactful leaders. So Innovazing uses emotional intelligence tools and techniques. It's based on neuroscience uh, and they have all these really cool, highly customized programs for social enterprises, nonprofits, higher education, Fortune 500 companies, and they're working all over the world, uh, launching five fast-growing mentors across four countries Consulting, etc. cetera. Uh, so, Salima is, uh, we were talking just before this interview, and Salima uh, is really truly a, an example of a Renaissance soul, multi potentialite, whatever you want to call it. In addition to her work at Innovazing, she has co-founded a nonprofit language school in Brazil. Uh, she's been doing work with the World Bank. She teaches entrepreneurship at Johns Hopkins and is also a faculty member of the Mavasive Leadership Institute. She co-leads the World Bank Group's largest and most inclusive mentoring program for the youth-to-youth community and is also the Career Advisory Network's co-chair of SWAN, the SAIS Women's Alumni Network. Um, So she's doing tons of interesting things. And we're going to dive into all of that with her in just a moment. Another sort of fun fact about Salima is that she has spent her life between Canada, Brazil, the DR, Dominican Republic, Italy, and the US and is fluent in five languages. Salima, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dina.
1: I'm really, really happy to be here.
0: Yeah. Can you tell me what are the five languages that you're fluent in?
1: So, obviously, English and yes. um, Canadian, so French <laughs> was my second language. It's, ah. it's, it's moved now towards I'd say like my fourth or fifth, but I also speak Spanish and Portuguese fluently, okay, yeah, and I'm pretty fluent in Italian as well. nice, and how did you become such a multilingual person? I'd say you know i I felt like. I felt like, you know, just when I was younger, you know, when I was in my teens, I started living around the world. I first lived in Dominican Republic. I went to study Spanish and I was just really passionate about the culture, uh, you know, just Latin American culture in general. And I really just wanted to be able to communicate with the people because I felt like having that barrier impeded me from really understanding the culture. And uh, and so I I went out and, and learned a lot. You know, I took formal classes in university, but I also learned a lot, honestly, right on the streets.
0: Yeah, that's the best way to learn it and interacting (laughs) with people directly. Cool. Okay. I'm going to totally come back to this language thing uh, later in the interview because I'm curious about it and how it interacts with some of the other stuff that you do. But before we dive into that, let's talk a little bit more about the work that you are doing currently. So I know I gave a brief Overview of innovazing, but can you tell me a little bit more about what innovazing is and why you started it?
1: Yeah, so essentially we do leadership development training, but we do it in a very non-traditional way. As you know, the name innovazing is innovation plus amazing, or uh, you know. there's different ways of explaining it, but essentially we help, uh, you know, we help leaders, a lot of social impact leaders. We work a lot in that social innovation, social impact space, international Mm -hmm. development. We help people essentially be more of their true selves. So this means that, you know, really helping them first go through personal growth in order to have organizational growth. And that means that to be a better leader, whether it's, you know, it's both personal and professional. Um, they need to do that in a work. They need to really understand themselves. They need to have a high level of self-awareness, emotional intelligence. And so we train in, in four areas, perception, empathy, resilience, and intuition, because we believe that those four competencies, which basically are an extension of, of Daniel Goleman's uh, competencies are are essential for anyone to grow in the position of leadership. Okay,
0: so you just mentioned these four competencies. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, I think that when people think of leadership, there's a lot of different things that come to mind when people think about leaders and leadership. And some of the things that you mentioned, can you tell me
1: one more time the four competencies? So the four competencies in our emotional intelligence model include perception, empathy, resilience, and intuition. Okay.
0: So perception, empathy, resilience, and intuition. So these are not things that people typically think of, I think, right away when they think about leadership and what it takes to be a great leader. I can imagine that you've experienced, and maybe I'm wrong about this, <laughs> I hope I'm wrong, <laughs> but I can imagine that you've experienced some pushback from people who don't believe that those are core skills of leaders. What would you say to people who, who feel like these are not necessary things to focus on. There are other things that are more important to focus on first,
1: yeah, so that's actually where our the biggest challenge is, and that's actually where our sweet spot is because we can understand that having you know worked in organizations that have that sort of culture where you have perhaps some people that have great technical skills um you know they they they're, work, they're working their way towards the top um you know they 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 have amazing technical skills but making that transition from being you know a specialist and becoming more of not necessarily a generalist but becoming more of a people manager and working you know mm-hmm. leading teams uh they often aren't trained in a way that suits their learning style um which we address because our training like i said is non-traditional we we address so many different learning styles, audio, you know, visual, different types. And so it's really, uh, helping them understand that this whole thing around self-awareness and emotional intelligence, but because everything that we do is backed in science neuroscience specifically, they tend to convert or believe in it more because they see that there's data that backs what we do. And it's not just something coming, you know, um, from from nowhere, if that makes sense, it's it's something actually backed by science. So you
0: talk about how your your training is sort of a non traditional method. Can you paint a picture for me
1: of what
0: that looks like?
1: Yeah, sure. So essentially, we get people uh, to do real world sort of scenarios, activities, exercises, and it's super interactive, super immersive. Um, we're all about. Helping them also reflect, and in, in, in our debriefing, uh, you know, when we do debriefs, to really help them see how they're growing through experiencing. So it's super experiential. Mm. Uh, it's not the traditional, you know, sit down and, and have a trainer teaching from a PowerPoint. It's nothing of the sort. It's really having people do activities that challenge them, that get them out of their comfort zone, that really actually help unleash their creativity and innovation, and and unleash more of themselves that they often don't know that certain parts of themselves exist and helping unleash that. And oftentimes it's really uncomfortable, but at the end of it, or while they're going through, they're like, wow, they're having all these breakthroughs and aha moments, Mm. especially when they're, like I said, the technical sort of very high technical skill people, whether they're economists, engineers, um, you know, finance specialists, scientists, they, they're like, wow, i never knew this part of myself where I never knew that I could, could, you know, communicate in this way. And, and so it's, it's really, really impactful. Can you give
0: me a specific example of one person who this training had a really big impact on?
1: So an example is, uh, let's just take, we did a design thinking workshop and, um, this was at the world bank and it was really interesting because we had an engineer, uh, we had a group of engineers actually that really, really, you know, they, it was sort of like, because we, we get a lot of props and materials involved in our, in our workshops. So it's not just your, your, your traditional workbook or, you know, like I said, PowerPoint. So we had Play-Doh, we had uh, Lego, we had all sorts of, all sorts of materials um, that would help unleash their creativity. And, and they were sort of like, Hmm, you know, why would I want to play with uh, Play-Doh and all these <laughs> things? that's just not, how is that going to be applicable to my work? And it's sort of a typical example of someone that doesn't believe in it yet, but they're curious and they're intrigued because they're somehow drawn to it, but they don't know why. And then once they experience it, they're like, oh, okay, now this makes sense because it's actually, what we do is cultivate a mindset shift. Uh, we're not trying to teach you something. We're trying to help you experience something so that you actually can shift your mind on how, on how you can, you know, on how things work on how people, um, perceive things on how you can use empathy as a tool for innovation or use empathy in your work and your personal life. And so it's really sort of, you know, a lot of people say, how can you teach empathy? Isn't that sort of learned through childhood or, you know, and, and it's like, no, you can teach it, but it, it comes through very experiential methods.
0: Yeah. So you're doing this work with innovating and this is sort of your, your primary thing, if I understand this correctly. But you also have a lot of other pieces. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the other things that you do fit into the larger puzzle of your life?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting how things keep aligning more and more as I do more and more work. Uh, you know, It's really just a convergence. What I'm doing today is a convergence of everything that I've done throughout my career. And I never expected it to be this. I never thought <laughs> it was leadership development training. I never... Imagine this. Like I thought I was going to have a career in international development and be a practitioner and just you know do stuff on the field, um, work in a, in, a, in a large organization. Um I never thought that I would come back to to being an entrepreneur and actually trying to help people change the way they think, change their mindsets um, and and be better leaders. And I think it was essentially, all the different parts of me, my skills, my hobbies, my experiences, my passions. That's something I teach when I teach entrepreneurship is how do we, you know, really reflect as we grow because we're always dynamic. We're always evolving. How do we sort of see or take all the different parts of us, all our different skills, experiences, and and passions and, and put them together in new ways? And I think the biggest realization or the biggest breakthrough I had was when we stop trying so hard and we just focus hmm. on being and doing and not sure why things are happening the way they are, but it's for whatever reason, but also being just very aware um, and mindful that things will converge and there will be periods of convergence and divergences, like always, but but everything sorts, sort of aligns between the work I do is, uh, you know, teaching entrepreneurship, um, the work that I do as an innovation consultant, the work that I do with innovating, all of it is super, super related.
0: Hmm. Okay, so you use this phrase, you said, when we stopped trying so hard and focused more on being than on doing. Can you talk about on a practical level, like, what does that look like? What what did that look like for you to, to stop trying so hard and focus more on being
1: rather than doing? So I think it was really learning how to be present, which, uh, you know, we teach a lot of these tools, but actually practicing, you know, practicing what you preach can be really tough. (laughs) And sometimes we get triggered and it was really learning to be present and, and essentially just, you know, being able to feel and and understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, Um, but without analyzing too much or asking too many questions or searching for answers Hmm. or asking the what ifs or having regrets about the past and just accepting and like radical acceptance and and moving forward Hmm. Um, and just being empowered because, I mean, how do we empower and inspire other people if we don't practice that?
0: Yeah. How do you, are, are there any like, particular tools or practices that you implement for yourself on a regular basis that have
1: helped you with that? I actually use one of our tools at Innovazing, which um, we use at our Leadership for Changemakers workshop, which is an, it's called the Epic Impact Plan. And it's Mm. not your typical action plan. It's an impact plan. So you can constantly go back and measure, you know, the goals that you have, your intrinsic, look at your intrinsic motivation, your or leadership qualities and set up goals, but in a way that is dynamic, that's realistic. Um, and so setting up very specific goals and, and revisiting that. And so that's been a really useful tool. Another tool has been also just, uh, you know, as a coach, um, just being around like-minded people, sharing things on, on social media and, you know, really thinking about who are the thought leaders that I admire and what are they doing and picking the top five or the top, you know, the top few and, and sort of using them as role models, um, looking at them as role models and seeing Mm. how, you know, I can basically, uh, be, be a thought leader myself.
0: Mm. What has shifted for you in, in that process of, of learning how to practice these tools and techniques?
1: So what has shifted for me, I would say, is that I definitely get a lot of people reaching out to me. I see growth of the business. I see that a lot of our proposals materialize. I see that... We're evolving in terms of what we do as well, and in our process of scaling up, um, there are obviously growth pains that come along. Like it's never supposed to be rosy when you're building a business, yeah. but um, it's also really interesting that we're attracting people that want to work with us that are also in that process of growth. And maybe they're a few steps um, away from where we are now, and we can relate to where they, you know, where they are because we were there just recently, like maybe a year or two ago. And so we're attracting a lot of people that are also looking to build a business and contribute to this collective impact that we want to have and just being very collaborative, you know, thinking about networking in different ways or communicating with people and and trying to figure out how to maximize a conversation has also been really valuable and utilizing some of our tools um, for that too, to see, you know, no matter who you're talking to, they may be um, a young student, they may be, uh, I don't know, someone that's retired, but how can you really utilize that conversation and maximize and not just provide value to them, but sometimes just be able to ask outrageously and 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 ask, because there's no harm in that. And oftentimes mm-hmm. that goes a long way, whether it's they introduce you to somebody that's relevant in your industry or, you know, they they're willing to support you and or volunteer in an event or whatever it is. It's just, it's, it's just amazing how far you can go by just making an ask. Uh, because mm. somehow you're already providing value sometimes you know we don't we forget about our impact and how much just as thought leaders and sharing what we share and, and our message spreading how much impact we have on the world and we as thought leaders we have to take a step back and be like hey sometimes it's okay to ask sometimes it's okay to invite somebody to mentor you um, and constantly doing that work constantly growing because it never stops
0: mm. Okay. So that question of how do you, um, sometimes it's okay to invite somebody to mentor you. I feel like this is something that has come up for me actually several times in conversation recently. And I think it's something that people get kind of intimidated about, like both on the end of people who would like to have, I mean, I think everybody would like to have a mentor, right? (laughs) But often people don't know how to go about getting somebody to mentor them. And then on the flip side, I think sometimes people would love to mentor, but then maybe they're approached in a way that kind of turns them off or, you know, whatever it may be that that somehow there's, there's sort of a, it can be challenging, I think, to match up those two sides of the equation. So what advice would you give to somebody who is wanting mentorship?
1: So I would say that, you know, There's different ways of inviting. Uh, It really depends on your connection with people because just, you know, being a leader of a mentorship program of over 1600 people, (laughs) it's it's interesting to see the dynamics and what works, what doesn't work. Um, The matchmaking process even is, is quite interesting, but, you know, it's really sort of feeling the conversation. I think it's really important to sort of be able to connect with the person, to know that, you know, you do connect with them because as much as their title might interest you, as much as they may be in or out of your industry, whatever it is that draws you to that person, you want to make sure that that feeling is mutual because if it isn't, then you may feel like you're hitting a block and and you want to be careful who's mentoring you because that's, that's a big deal. Like you're looking up to them. You're, you know, you're, you're really, uh, they're holding space for you as well. And you want to make sure that, that there is a connection there. And so I think it's a matter of really practicing empathy when you have that initial conversation with them and, and not go in with the expectation, but just, uh, I think it just, for me, it naturally happens. Like when I, when I speak to people, sometimes they're, you know, youth, for example, like young entrepreneurs or people that are trying to take their idea into action. And I feel really connected to them. And I know that, you know, they would be really happy to be mentored by me. Uh, once in a while, I'll be like, Hey, like, I'd love to be your mentor. I'd love to support you in this. And I've done that myself as well when I've, you know, met someone, maybe they're like a CEO of a large company, whatever it is, they have a, a very senior role. And sometimes I'm I'm afraid of hmm, what if they say no. And I've never had a no come to me in terms of mentoring. I feel like there's, there's people mm. want to give back. And oftentimes it's just that ask that, that doesn't facilitate that to happen. And sometimes we just need to have faith in and, and make that ask. And, and it doesn't have to be, Oh, do you want to be my mentor? It could be, you know um, would you like to join my advisory board? It could be a more formal, uh, a more formal engagement. Like if you have a business and you're looking to have uh, a board of advisors and have people to mentor uh, to help your business grow, it could be really just, you know, I'd love to have coffee with you. So I think just detaching from the labels of mentor can go a long way and see what what would feel most comfortable to that person based on your conversation with them.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point. I I think it it can be really easy to kind of uh, jump to the labels and say, you know, do you want to be my mentor? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Which, which actually is, is a much more awkward question than, than you would want it to be. Uh, Because also I think mentorship looks like a lot of different things. I mean, just uh, to your point, like, it can be being part of your advisory board. Or, and even if you don't have a business, I think one of the great, a great concept that I've come across is like your personal board of directors, right? Like even if you don't have a business, but you're maybe working for somebody else or whatever it may be, you can create your own personal board of directors. So I, it, yeah, I think there's being a little bit more specific and also maybe a little bit more low-key. Sounds like some good, some good approaches. I want to step back a little bit to what got you here so you're a little bit of a serial entrepreneur in some ways like you're you're doing multiple different things including teaching entrepreneurship actually um what was it that first inspired you
1: to kind of go off on your own and start your own thing and how long ago was that so to be very honest it was uh early in my career when i was 21 years old and i finished college. And I went down to Brazil to take on this volunteer opportunity to co-found and and launch this language school, which was uh, supporting an orphanage at the time. And, and it was really not even realizing that it was something entrepreneurial. It was just something I was drawn to. I wanted to do work on the field. I wanted to do some stuff before getting my master's degree. I wanted that international experience, and it was just that opportunity that was I was just really drawn to, and, I, and it was probably because I could, you know, have a leadership role. I could get something started off the ground. I didn't, I wasn't aware at the time that it was something entrepreneurial. I wasn't even really very familiar with the term, other than you know someone that starts a business, and I didn't realize that that's what I was essentially mm-hmm. doing. And um, and it was really under this NGO uh, at the time was Casa do Camino. That was located a couple of hours outside of Rio and they were having challenges Uh, and so and so this NGO was having challenges to retain volunteers because of the visa restrictions in Brazil, they were having challenges to upkeep the orphanage and the maintenance and the infrastructure And so they had this idea, you know, the the director at the time of the NGO had this idea to start this language school and he wanted a volunteer to come and implement it. And so I came, I was at the time in Canada and I came down and was there for about six months and really got the school going off the ground. And it was really interesting to experience all the steps of entrepreneurship or, or starting something where we had a, you know, a language school, which was teaching all these different languages. I myself was teaching a bunch of languages. Uh, we had all these volunteers that I'd recruited, um, all these local teachers, and uh, as well as international teachers. And we realized very, very quickly that our niche was Portuguese for foreigners. That the foreigners were really passionate about the orphanage and the social cause and having their tuition Their, you know, the proceeds go to the orphanage. Um, they wanted to visit the orphanage. They want to experience, you know, Festa Junina. As they wanted to be maybe, you know, experience being in a homestay or try samba and capoeira. So we said, you know, this is our sweet spot. It just made sense from the business model perspective. And we quickly got rid of all the other languages. We had to make a lot of changes and, uh, you know, figure out who are the volunteers that are serious and, and aren't just trying to go to the beach because we were in Ipanema just a couple blocks from the beach. <laughs> um, and so how do we sort of build this culture of, of people that are motivated because remember that they were volunteers. And, mm. and so going through all the challenges, you know, the growth pains of starting starting something from scratch uh, literally from scratch, and seeing how it quickly grew uh, into a into a six-figure business within just a few months uh, was was really, 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 you know, at the time it was just like, wow, it was just focused on doing and doing and, and implementing, and it was very successful. But when I took a few, it was only a few years later when I shared that story with people, and how after Brazil, I went to Italy and started a, a, a translation business after doing some freelance translation, and Dominated that website translation niche before Google Translate took off. It was only after really going to graduate school after reflecting and telling my story that people were like, wow, you have an amazing story. You've done a lot. And for me, to be honest, I was very embarrassed about my experience because I felt like I didn't have um, all this job experience, like formal work experience that some of my other classmates while I was going through graduate school had. And I had all this other experience, but I didn't know that it was, you know, I was being an entrepreneur or I didn't really understand because I was living abroad um, and just so busy doing that. I didn't realize that what I was doing was, in fact, quite entrepreneurial. For me, I was just a mix of survival mode. It was doing, you know, what I was passionate about. It was just going with the flow. I hadn't studied entrepreneurship formally. So it was really, really interesting when I came to the U.S. and seeing this formal startup culture and, and community. And I was like, wow, there's a lot here. And, and maybe what I did really was unique, that really was you know, special and, and impactful. And um, it fits into this whole thing. So when you started innovating, like, what did that grow out of? So Innovazing actually grew out of a mix of all these things because, uh, so there's, you know, my co-founder and I, we bring a very diverse set of experiences and skills to the company. Uh, he's a project manager. He has, a, you know, a lot of, he's worked with the government. He's done a lot of different things than I have. And I've done a lot of this sort of on the field in different countries as a practitioner. And so really everything that I've done converged into doing what I do now, because I would say that it was really my frustrations in working in organization of working in organizations where I felt like I wasn't able to have the impact that I set out to have, uh, you know, being an international development practitioner, I thought I would, you know, going to a big organization meant big impact, big impact. And really I felt like I had more impact when I was on the ground, when I, you know, when I had the translation business, when I had, you know, when I was running the language school and I, I could see that direct impact. and I think. I, at the time, I thought if I work for a bigger organization, you know, the macro scale, I'll be able to have this huge impact. But I actually felt very far away from that. It felt like, you know, I, I I forgot about what I was passionate about. I sort of lost myself in that process. And I saw that I wasn't alone. I saw that there were a lot of other people that felt just the same way, including a lot of the people that were actually leading me and my and, and our teams. And, uh, and so it was really, hmm, how do we sort of help people connect to that intrinsic motivation because I definitely lost it and the people around me as well. And so it just sort of happened organically after doing things that I wasn't comfortable with or that I didn't enjoy and having to take this journey where I, I traveled and did a lot of soul searching, did a lot of, you know, eat, pray, love, I uh, went to Bali, went to India, Um, explored. I came back with more questions and answers, but after doing that work and just, you know, practicing being present, being mindful, being open to new opportunities and, and not having expectations of how things will turn out was, was really what the game changer, I would say. What would you say has been your biggest challenge in this process? So I would say my biggest challenge is how do I replace myself? How do I create more people like me? How do I get, you know, our team members to, or some of our team members to be able to think the way that I do or that my co-founder does and sort of, um, and not necessarily, you know, in the same way, but how do we sort of help shift the mindsets of people within our team? And, and some of our tools, some of our work does that, but how do we do it in a way where, you know, it can be more sustainable? And I think that's sort of the growth pain that we're experiencing is how do we sort of be able to trust that we can t- take a step back and the business will continue to grow
0: how would you say creativity plays a role? I mean, this might be a, it might feel like a dumb question, but how would you say creativity plays a
1: role in all of the things that you do? Creativity goes hand-in-hand hand with the work that we do. Creativity goes hand-in-hand hand with emotional intelligence. Uh, the more self-aware we are, the more we practice self-awareness and empathy and all these things, uh, the more we're able to be resilient we're able to unleash that creativity inside of us. A lot of times in our workshops, we get people that say, "Ah, oh, we're not creative," or you know, "I'm just not a creative person." And they have a lot of what we call limiting beliefs about themselves. And oftentimes, after going through our workshops, they are like, "Wow, I didn't realize I had that in me. I didn't realize I could be creative. Uh, I didn't realize I already am creative, and I just didn't know that." And so, I, you know, it's it's just it's just amazing to see. Uh, the amount of creativity that is unleashed as people uh, work on their, uh, work on their emotional intelligence
0: skills. How does creativity specifically play a role for you?
1: For me, creativity plays a really important role because I feel like that creativity, it's its a mindset. For me, creativity is a mindset and, uh, you know, it's thinking and you don't have to use the word artist, but it's really just uh, being able to be bold and try different things without the fear of of being pushed back and creativity has actually is actually the factor now that I never really thought about this before but now just in this conversation I'm like wow creativity is actually what has led me to what I'm doing right now and not taking a conventional path in my career you know really just being creative in my approach to things, whether it was the language school, the, the translation business, even the work that I've done as a, I like to call myself the entrepreneur in organizations, uh, really bringing creativity to to different organizations that are quite traditional sometimes. And, and I feel like because I wasn't able to unleash that creativity as much as I wanted to in organizational settings, oftentimes because of resistance, I ended up Uh, starting companies, starting organizations where I could unleash that creativity. And Mm. I saw that it really resulted in an impact where we're able to grow the company and and do more work and just being surrounded and and hiring or, you know, growing a team of other people that are creative in their own ways Uh, from even just the proposal writing process and and using creativity there to be unique and to be memorable and to be authentic to actually using creativity um, as we Teach it, or as we sort of unleash, help unleash that in our workshops, but actually using creative uh, teaching or facilitation methods in our workshops.
0: Mm. Speaking of, uh, you mentioned Eat, Pray, Love earlier. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Elizabeth Gilbert's newer book, Big Magic. Mm-hmm. So that book, Big Magic, the, the tagline is "Creative Living Beyond Fear," and she defines creative living as consistently choosing the path of curiosity over the path of fear. And it sounds like that is exactly what you have done.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really sort of reframing. And this is something we do in one of our workshops is how do we reframe our limiting beliefs to be more empowering beliefs? How do we actually take what we're most scared of and see it as how can we leverage that to grow? and and getting out of our comfort zone it's just it's amazing you know i I think that for me i'm pretty comfortable sometimes getting out of my comfort zone and i think that that's probably just because of my experiences abroad and and people say you know you've, you've you've experienced a lot abroad and so i feel like for me it's been a lot of travel that has helped unleash that but i would say that that you know i see a lot of that happen in our work when we do our workshops and we see people really getting out of their comfort zones and be able to live a more creative life. Um, Oftentimes they, there's like a stigma or like there's this whole thing around uh, creativity being artistic or, you know, visual artist or, uh, you know, being able to be colorful or be able to think in a nonlinear way. And essentially there's different definitions of creativity, but we just say it's a mindset and everybody can embrace it in their own unique way. I love that.
0: Okay, here's a totally random out of the blue question. What are you not very
1: good at? So what I would say I'm I'm not very good at is I would say it's focusing. I would say that I can either hyper focus on something and that takes a lot to get to that point. But because, and this is sort of where the creativity is sort of the con because it's usually a pro but it can also get my mind sort of all over the place. And that there's so many things I want to do. And so starting a lot of things, not completing them or not following up on them, um, which I think is, you know, it's a beautiful thing because I get to expand in new directions and sometimes doing that opens so many other opportunities. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot more that I can do or my impact could be greater or, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more that can be done, even if it's not by me, but by our team, if I was able to focus more. And I think that that's something I'm definitely working on. And it's something that uh, I'm aware of. And I'm trying different tools and, and practicing different methods to, to get myself into a zone where I can focus and do things more efficiently. Um, but I think that that's, that's totally okay. I think that you know we all have things that we could be better at. And it's just being aware of how, you know, how are we going to do this better? How are we going to grow? And, and just tracking that, measuring that growth.
0: Yeah. I wonder if part of your challenge is that there's so many, you know, you're really a visionary, right? Like the, there's so many things that you dream up that would be amazing to do, but you can't do all of them. How do you sort of filter through, like, like the ones that you do actually put into first because clearly you have managed to put several, bring several projects to fruition. Um, how do those projects um, sort of work their way through the filter and become the projects that actually come to into the light of day?
1: I can give you an example of a project I, I recently worked on. Uh, so I co-led this, this study at the World Bank and I came in as a consultant to you know, do research on how can we improve the livelihoods of refugees in the Middle East and North Africa by using agriculture technologies. And this is like sort of like, you know, water saving, climate smart technologies like hydroponics, aquaponics, basically ways of growing nutritious produce without using soil and using very little water. Uh, and this is to tackle food insecurity and a lot of, you know, improved livelihoods in general for the refugees and that actually turned into an award-winning study, uh, and that was because we used design thinking in our approach. We actually, you know, we looked at different methods. We actually empathized with our, you know, with our target audience. We went to the fields. We went to Djibouti, to Israel, to Palestine. We, uh, you know, visited a bunch of countries and saw, wow, this is something that, you know, we're going to have to design something that's different than we initially imagined. We were going towards more of a sort of like a high tech approach of, you know, maybe we can use aeroponics or something more high, t- more sophisticated. And then we quickly realized that we need something super simple, but this could actually work. And, uh, and then we ended up coming out with like simplified hydroponics and, uh, and now it's actually being implemented. It's being piloted in Djibouti. Wow. And we're looking to pilot it all over, in, you know, Africa and the middle East. And it's something that has gained recognition since we got that award and, um, and so basically to answer your question, it's, it's, you know, being able to empathize while, uh, we're doing a project, I would say being able to empathize with our audience and designing something, whether it's, you know, a product, a solution, a workshop, um, you know, coming up with the solution of hydroponics, uh, simplified hydroponics, um, that, is, that goes a long way. I think that that actually helps that project, uh, you know, materialize into something that's impactful that people can relate to, that people can actually use. Cause sometimes we want to build as an entrepreneur, you know, I've been there, I've had field businesses too. And sometimes you want to build something, maybe because it's in our head and we haven't really spoken to people or gotten feedback from who we're serving and design something and build something that at the end of the day doesn't really serve them in the best way.
0: Mm, so it's really about listening deeply and focusing in on what is actually needed and then responding to that. Exactly. And building the thing that is most needed. That's a great answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, if somebody wanted to learn more about your work or get in touch with you, where would they do that?
1: Yeah. So they can go to our website. It's www.innovazing.com. That's I N N O V A Z I N G. Uh, they can also uh, reach out on LinkedIn. They can easily find me on social media uh, and happy to to connect to people.
0: Awesome. Is there any last things that you would like people to know about you or your business before we wrap this up?
1: Yeah. So I'd love to say that, you know, just stay curious. You can, you know, whatever you want to do, uh, you'll know when it's the right moment to go ahead and do it, whether it's starting your own business or, or implementing a project uh, but just keep in mind to, to maintain or grow that self-awareness because having that self-awareness will help you not just in that process of getting what you want, but also navigate a lot of the fears and challenges that come up along the way, which are actually are actually areas of growth.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show, Salima. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much
0: for listening to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and make sure you tell your friends to come listen. And remember, we'll be back with another episode next Monday.